Welcome back, everybody, to Who Am I Podcast. The website is whoamipodcast.com. And today I have on Mr. INTP again, our uh, philosophical guest speaker. And today we want to talk about uh, psychological phenomena that occur with um, situations that go against our worldview. And in particular, we want to talk about the COVID phenomenon and how on a global level, humanity seems to be confronted with unprecedented questions and problems, just lots of situations that they weren't prepared for. And they have wildly different reactions to them. Um, so some people who are already skeptical of governments and big pharma and big tech uh, dismiss the COVID uh, pandemic as a hoax, as a lie. And on the other hand, some people uh, suck up every word that Dr. Fauci says on the news or uh, the governor of New York, I forget his name, um, Cuomo, right? And give him a, even an Oscar, I think, uh, for his daily appearances on television. And they just want to be told what to do, how many masks to wear, how many shots to take, uh, what they're allowed and what they're not allowed to do. So I think those are the two extreme sides of the spectrum. And obviously there are many uh, facets in between. But uh, what do you think? What has been your observation of different people's uh, reaction to um, new regulations, um, just medical explanations, and just this, this huge heap of questions? So first of all, I'm I really like how you framed the question because um, we both we were very critical of the government. So we both uh, share the opinion that um, COVID is overblown and isn't really the danger it's uh, they say it is. And when we've talked about the topic beforehand, um, you framed it more like why do they, why don't they, um, why don't they see the truth basically? Why don't mm -hmm. they see these obvious? Um, why don't they see the obvious? And this time you framed it um, more balanced. And mm -hmm. I really like that because our side, the, the skeptic side, often gets over psychologized. Like uh, we do this because we're stubborn or, or we just don't like the government or want to feel importance in our life. And that's why I usually don't like to psychologize the other side, but psychology is obviously very important in in mass um, politics. So it's interesting to talk, uh, talk about the topic, but um, yeah, I think we have to take it with a grain of salt. We can't just say they act in a certain way because we, because they, because X or Y or whatever. Yeah, and, and to clarify uh, the, the context of, of today's discussion some more, um, we won't spend much time or any time uh, discussing what is true or, or what isn't true, like what is the right. case and how dangerous is, is this illness or how real or 
what went on in Wuhan. Um, what I'm interested in today mainly is how people react to the situation we're in. Uh, maybe a little bit how we got here, but I don't think we're equipped with enough knowledge, uh, medical knowledge, political knowledge, and just looking into the heads of, of people who uh, seem to be driving the, the current um, situation uh, to know for certain uh, what is true and what isn't. And, uh, but just as interesting is um, why do people react in different ways? Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I told a friend about uh, my view and how the, the real pandemic is the, the propaganda and the lies that we're being told and that no one is being honest with us about what is actually going on and what is dangerous and that the media and the government just wants us to be constantly in a state of fear. Um, and we can talk about what their motives might be and, and what the consequences are of this direction. And this friend uh, said, well, what is, the, what is the purpose? What would be the purpose of, of this? And I said, well, to get us all vaccinated. And they said, and, and isn't that a good thing? Or what, what bad intention would someone have with that? And I said, to be, I tried to be very you know, neutral and said, well, there are theories out there that Bill Gates is trying to reduce, to drastically reduce the population of the world. And not just him, but he's kind of the face of this movement. And he just said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I think, okay, I, I don't know how to respond to that because that's just, a, I, I guess I went too far for what this person is open to. Uh, do, do you know what I'm talking about? And can you yeah. talk a bit about this, this situation that you've, I'm sure you've been in a lot as well, where people just stop following your train of thought and say, oh, okay, that's, that's too far. That's, that's crazy. No. Yeah, and I don't understand why really, because, um, for example, with this COVID topic, um, what we notice or what everyone notices, even the mainstream media, is these um, very specific pillars that hold the whole um, narrative up and they break, like, for example, um, the, the hospitals being full or the tests being faulty or whatever the method one after the other they break but they get forgotten and the whole narrative stays so like uh, it's it's obvious everyone knows that politicians are corrupt everyone knows they sell masks uh, for stupid prices or whatever everyone knows it but it's always uh, just accepted and acknowledged in smaller scales and not in the big scale like you say like they want to reduce the old population oh that's too mm -hmm. much and maybe that is because they just fear what that would mean if someone if a group of people really want to um, exert their influence in such a uh, major way like they they are fearful now, but they would have a much larger fear if they had to fear inf um, influential people like manipulating the population as a whole and gaining power, forcing people 
in a totalitarian way. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you quickly go down a rabbit hole if you follow through with that train of thought. Like, what does it mean if a few people have this huge amount of control over almost all of humanity? And that would mean that actually the, the two parties in charge of your country are not enemies. They, they're funded by the same people who just use them as puppets and actors. And actually the big uh, powerful countries in the world are not enemies and they're funded by the same people who just <laughs> cause them to, to fight each other on television to keep everybody af afraid and occupied and distracted. And things like that, and you would end up in a in a very strange depth um, where you can't really think about anymore what what's going on and and what is your role in all this. It it kind of challenges your whole identity. It turns your worldview upside down, and that's why people who do dare go down this path go slowly and carefully. Um, I don't think I've ever felt like I'm going insane or like I'm going too fast. But on the other hand, I also think that there's a part of my brain who that just protects me from this and makes sure that I, I can't be open enough to take a big leap. So it, it, it right. comes in phases. Was that your experience too? Right, absolutely. And often there's a topic that I, I jokingly... Um, um, look into. I don't really believe any of it. I think it's really out there, but I jokingly look into it and find it interesting. And after time, it becomes more and more believable. And mm -hmm. it's it's not this big leap, like you say, it's uh, in steps. And it seems, um, from my point of view, very deterministic who takes these steps. For example, the older generations that are very settled and have a, a lot to lose and fear that they could lose something, their safety, their wealth or whatever, they tend to be more secure, less risk-taking. And mm -hmm. the youth is very risk-taking in many aspects. So, I mean, of course, this psychologizing, as I said earlier, and you can't say for everyone, but from my point of view, it looks a lot like um, people just fear taking this big leap, like you say. Yeah, let's talk about cognitive dissonance. I think this is a more specific case, also connected to that fear. But um, I, I think my biggest example of um, of having my eyes opened was after nine eleven. Um, when it happened, I was fifteen or sixteen, and I didn't want to think about it. I just thought it's impossible that a government killed thousands of its own people. Um, and I didn't even think about what their motivation could be, uh, what people had to gain from this. Because, well, I actually don't know why. I, I just I just thought that's, that's crazy, that's too much. So I've been there myself. Um, and then maybe one or two years later, we, my school class was shown the documentary, oh yeah, Fahrenheit um, 911, is that what it's called? By um, Michael Moore. I think I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, and um, I don't like everything he does, but this was um, 
a real challenge for my worldview. You know, in particular, that a government would never kill, like intentionally kill thousands of its of its own people. Um, but he showed just just one evidence after another of how the bombs caused the buildings to collapse on their own footprint, like a very controlled demolition. Um, and I don't remember all the other things, but that was the most um, the most obvious thing to me. And I didn't feel comfortable with seeing that. I just let it let it sit there. I didn't think much about it. And I don't really know what happened after that. I, I think it was just a slow process. Um, I remember I didn't want to think about all the wars in the Middle East. I, I kind of ignored them when they happened. You know, I was, well, I was going to say I was young, but it doesn't really matter how old you are. It, it's, uh, it's kind of a choice, but also a predisposition how open you are to, to even acknowledging these things and allowing them to reach you emotionally because any war, no matter how justified it seems, is murder and, and should reach you somewhere where you realize that you are complicit in murder. Um, but the, the further the actual killing is from you, like geographically and mentally, the easier it is to just allow it to happen. Um, and then once I had accepted that it is actually possible for a government to kill thousands of its own people, to make a, a huge amounts of money and to start a war or two, and then more and more after, uh, after Obama came into office, he went from two to seven wars. Um, and then I realized how much money there is to be made in war and, and how many sociopaths and psychopaths there are in life in the world and how the, the system we're in promotes having sociopaths in, in positions of power. And so it became more and more coherent and easier to accept. Um, what, what is your experience with cognitive dissonance? Not on cognitive dissonance, but what I'd like to say is um, it's always combined with fear. And you said if it's uh, far away, it doesn't really, um, it's not emotional for you. It doesn't affect you as much. But for, uh, with the 9-11 example, it was right in America, terrorism, never before, like in this scale, or with COVID, it's all around us. And there's always, um, I mean, we, we said this big leap of distrust in government is a big fear that people have. But the other fear, which is um, legitimized by authority, like the, the terrorists or COVID or whatever, um, they seem very real. You can fear them, and it's uh, it's sanitized. It's allowed by the by authority. And there's always um, experts in COVID, or there was an official um, examination of the 9/11 um, events, and mm. they said it's all right. The, the planes were at fault, and it's always cloaked in the credibility of um, of authority, mm -hmm. basically. And people trust in authority because, like we said, this big leap of distrust in authority makes everyone scared, and it it would entail chaos. So I I understand not wanting to take this leap, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big risk. Um, I was reading a book by Isaac Asimov, my favorite author. Um, he writes a lot about robots and interactions with humans. And, um, he was very much ahead of his time. Um, what's the book called? Oh, The Caves of Steel. And in this story, uh, a human detective has to work together with a robot detective on a murder case. Um, and they, they come from very different parts of the planet because on, on the one side, the humans, where, where the humans are the majority, their robots are just working machines like we're used to today. But in this particular city, um, it's normal for robots to be humanoid, to, to look totally human and to just have a, a much more human uh, experience. So not just machines that are helpful in the household and at your job. Um, and so it, it was really strange for the human detective to get used to having this very lifelike looking robot at his side. And, and they were in, the, in a human city and there was a big um, protest in front of a shoe store because um, some of the customers wanted to be serviced by human personnel in the shoe store, not by machines. And, and they, they saw this as their human right. And the, the shop owner you know, didn't have much of a choice. He, he had to uh, replace as many humans by machines as he could to, to keep in business. Um, and so there was this huge fight and the human detective didn't know what to do, but the robot detective, uh, stood up on a, on a box or something, got out his gun and shouted at the crowd and said, the first person who, who, uh, keeps going with this chaos, uh, will be shot. And every one of you is going to go home now. And whoever wants to buy shoes will be serviced by robots and you don't have a choice in the matter. And they all got quiet and did exactly as he said. And, the, and then when the, when the detective came down, the, the human detective asked him, what did you just do? That was not okay. You can't just use violence against people. And he said, I didn't use violence. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, and, and the human says, it's in your programming that you cannot hurt a human being. It's, you cannot use your gun in this way. And he said, I didn't. And I know that is my that is my programming, and I couldn't have hurt them. It's impossible according to my makeup. All I had to do was uh, represent an authority figure, and be loud and assertive, and pretend to that I will use violence against them, and that's all all it took. And as you can see, it was effective. And so, we're very much in the, in the same situation. And why do you think that is? Where does this submission to authority come from? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, of course, I think it's at some part, to some part ingrained in us because when we grow up, we have parents, we submit to them, they are authorities. And yeah, I think in our today's society, we are children for longer and longer times, stay at home for longer, mm-hmm. don't live alone. And at some point, the government, the social government, just takes over the, the role of the parents. And we, we trust in the, in the government the same we do in, as we do in our parents. And I think that's a big mistake. When you say the government takes over, do you mean 
health insurance, unemployment insurance, or what exactly? Yeah, they, they take they take care of you. If if you're down, they take care of you. If you don't know what to do, they tell you what to do. Yeah. They take on the parental role. Yeah, it's mainly financial, but indirectly they're giving you the health service, for example, to to make you feel safe uh, of um, the consequences of sickness and injury and so on. Yeah, yeah. but even further, like... Um, in school, they tell you what to think, and mm -hmm. in in COVID, for example, um, they tell you you're stupid if you don't believe in the vaccinations or whatever. It's it's very um, how do you say it? If they, they they explain it to you, what to think, they yeah. tell you. Yeah, I was at a um, at a youth camp before, so I was in my mid twenties, and I was there for a week uh, taking care of teenagers while they did fun stuff and classes um, you know a summer camp and I was I had a little bit of training before and one of the one of the methods I was taught was when a youth is not behaving good well you know when when you want them to change their behavior then don't force them give them a choice but only a choice of two things and and make it so that both things are in your favor and then they will believe yeah. that those are the only two choices and i did i um there was i had one chance of, of using this and it worked perfectly um there were two boys who just ran off into a field uh instead of going to class and you know we were very careful to keep an overview of who should be where when and so we noticed this and we didn't panic. We just, you know, a couple of us just walked around the property looking for these two boys. And I found them in a field and they did not want to come back when I when I asked them to come back and, and join the others. And so I said, okay, let's do a little class here. And so I sat down in the field and just did a very impromptu class with them on something that I thought was was good to talk about. And then I saw that one was whittling with a pen knife on a stick. And I remember that one of the mm, one of the big rules at the camp was no weapons. And the pocket knife was considered uh, a weapon. Um, and so I thought, how, how do I deal with this? <laughs> and I didn't have the experience. I just had the, the theoretical training. So I thought, OK, what, what can I do? And I said to him, um, you know, that's against the rules. You either give me the knife now, or when we walk back to the campground, I will tell one of the leaders and they will take it from you. And, and it will be held in storage until the week is over and you can take it back and take it back home. And he gave it to me right away. <laughs> so that was an interesting experience. I, I really felt like I was manipulating the person. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I'm nervous about being a parent someday it, you know not in the near future but someday i do want to be a parent and i'm afraid that i will just endlessly manipulate my children or condition them that's another word implant beliefs in their minds but uh, someone gave me advice on this topic before and said to me if not you then who then then others will yeah. ra raise your children for you it happens automatically they are 
they are um, they just soak up everything they see and hear and experience, and you, you can't stop it. And so you want them to have as much positive influence as possible. And as a parent, you have a lot of weight in that process. Yeah, and you actually care about your children, caretakers or the government, they don't care. So mm -hmm. rather you than them. Yeah. 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 And, and we, we really are treated like children, I think, because, for example, you said the uh, two false choices thing. Um, mm -hmm. We have the choice between vaccination or testing, for example, mm -hmm. or um, we can't make up our own decisions if we want to take the risk of getting COVID. We have to force lockdowns and similar measures. I mean, it really is like a parent that tries to enact its authority. Yeah. I mean, that's the job of the government, but it, it shouldn't go this far. It should just be to, um, to be minimal and, and handle um, conflicts, but everyone should be an adult and should be sovereign and decide, make its own decisions. And that's not what's happening right now. Yeah, I, I wonder if I am slower than others in becoming independent. I, when I was a student, I lived with my parents um, until my mid-20s. So I think a lot of people would prefer to leave their parents' home as soon as possible or, or in their early 20s, you know, as, as soon as they have just barely enough money to pay their own rent. Um, but on the other hand, maybe I am also more aware of the steps I'm taking towards becoming independent, uh, especially in the last few years, I felt like I had to consciously do something to get that dependence on my parents out of my head. And it makes me wonder whether I'm behind everyone else or whether everyone has these connections in their brain, but isn't forced to deal with them as much as I am because of mental health problems, where I have to really understand to a certain degree my, my thoughts, my, my inner workings, in order to find the, that, that false foundational belief that is leading me to an inner conflict every time you know, in many different situations, I get triggered. And right now I'm working on not wanting the help of my parents. And yeah. my suspicion is that, that this is inside of everyone because it, I, I didn't st study psychology, but I keep hearing in the media that people go to a psychologist and find out that they have daddy issues or mommy issues, you know, whatever that means. It, it can mean lots of different things in different contexts. And this can go up until old age, you know, even though the parents are already dead, they might be afraid of being disciplined or, or being abandoned or stuff like this is, is the, the root for many emotional problems later in life. And so I wonder if, if these power megalomaniacs have studied this and are abusing it right now. Because how else is it possible to control billions of people just all of a sudden? I think we have been conditioned over decades 
rather than trained to become more independent so that we can be abused in such a way one day. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what we humans do. We um, First we tamed animals and now we're taming ourselves mm -hmm. in a way. And maybe it's the natural process and actually needs to happen. But who knows, I mean, I really prefer, like, as you do, the more decentralized way and everyone just um, decides for themselves and we cooperate. But maybe it's just not realistic. Maybe most people don't want to be self-reliant. Maybe they want to serve and want to mm -hmm. um, take the less less thinking intensive road and maybe that's the only way to avoid conflicts and chaos who knows yeah many people want to be led but it's crazy that how easily they will or how much they will trust someone who has already proven themselves to be corrupt and untrustworthy that's that's how strongly they want a leader in their life yeah, that's the same as with um, women being beaten by their men and they still stay with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's many parallels and many, many mm -hmm. things. For example, what you said with, um, you wondered if you may be more equipped to be, um, to, to go your own way now that you're consciously trying to separate from your parents mm -hmm. on their reliance. Um, that's the same way with people that have issues in social situations. They they learn, they study, and then they know why they failed and why what works and what not, and they become very proficient at it. And other for others, it just comes naturally, and they don't know why, so they are just average. They're not. They don't reach the same levels as the ones that have to do the hard work. Yeah. So yeah, many of these topics can be analyzed in many different ways. I think. Yeah, there is a, a four-way categorization for personality types into blue, white, red, and yellow. Have you heard of that before? Not the colors thing. I have heard I of Mayer's Briggs and, yeah. and the other one, um, the big five personality trait mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, there are many different uh, ways to categorize people. Um, the, the colors thing is based on a book that I read. I don't remember the author's name, but the book is called The Color Code. And I'll just, I'll just quick you, quickly give you an insight from it um, that you just reminded me of. So uh, white is, is a peacemaker, someone who just wants people to be okay. <laughs> you know, he's, he's pretty neutral. He just wants there to be no stress, no violence. Um, yellow is a person who, who likes fun who uh, likes to eat nice things, wear nice things, just be spontaneous. Uh, blue person is all about relationships, connection with other people, just emotional mainly. And a red person is a leader, is someone who just naturally, when he sees chaos, he wants there to be order and he will take the initiative. And just when he sees people could be more efficient or or could be better organized. That's that's his natural direction. He 
he um I mean, it's not necessarily in his nature to force people to do something but he just wants there to be order and so this is this red uh, category is what i identify with the most uh, out of the four so i don't know where those categories come from uh if genetics are at play or how you were raised where you were raised but um yeah it it's not everyone. And I don't know if some groups are represented by more people than others, but it's uh, interesting how automatically um, people in leadership positions, when they take this test, usually end up being in the red category. So there is a, there is a natural yes. thing to that. Yeah, it's interesting. Another thought that came to me when you were talking about domestic abuse is um, uh, a woman once talked to me about her work with prostitutes. She, I don't know if it was undercover or if she had official permission to, to go into brothels and talk to women and tell them that she and her organization can help them to, to get free again, you know, in whatever ways necessary. I, I don't even know what goes into that. Um, but, you know, the first step is to talk to them and make them aware of what is possible, uh, because apparently uh, for a lot of prostitutes, um, they are, you know, like slaves, but they're not fully aware of their situation. And when she teaches them, they don't come running after her. They, they will be skeptical. They will be afraid. And she will need to visit them more, more often, another two or three times maybe, before they have the courage, before they're convinced that it's even possible, you know. Um, and it was really difficult for me to, to hear about this. I, I didn't want to know all the, all the details of it, but it just struck me that this is a, a similar situation where we are so imprisoned that we no longer realize it and we make it hard for one another we we police each other <laughs> how is it possible mm. that that a police force or even a military that is a tiny fraction of a civilization is able to keep everyone <laughs> disciplined in whatever way they want <laughs> so do you, do you see any more parallels there between maybe a, a prisoner and what we're going through right now um, this reminded me of um, learned helplessness, if you've heard mm. the term. Yeah. Um, for example, in a classroom, if you if you always um, get if you if one part of the class has harder tests than the others, mm. and they later get say asked the same question, the the ones that had the, had the easier tests are more confident and believe more in themselves and um, actually um, get the right answers, and the other ones perform worse. Or for example, with elephants, it's very interesting when they're small, their, their legs get um, bound to, to, to a tree or something mm. and they, uh, they can't break out. But they, they grow up with this knowledge and when they're uh, big, tall elephants, they could easily break out, but they don't even try anymore. That's also very interesting. Like you, you said we police each other and if you if everyone adheres to the mask mandate for example we 
we don't just suddenly get the idea to stop wearing masks. We're still complying because it was a small sacrifice to make, but we're, we're keeping going. And at some point, it's just uh, like in learned helplessness, you don't even have the idea of uh, just just stopping the whole thing. So is there something going on with someone's brain? Is it unconscious, subconscious that, that at some point in our life, we just give up and we switch <laughs> off? We, we switch off and we, we just let things happen. We just, okay, resistance is no longer worth it. You know, did our parents break us like a horse when we were small? I mean, I hope not. Um, it, it seems like people give up with age, like all their dreams. You, mm -hmm. As a child, you think you can become anything and at some point you just settle if, it, if yeah. it's um, job selection or par partner selection or whatever, you just mm -hmm. start to settle. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's a big mistake and we should always um, aim big. Yeah. In the in that one Batman movie, um, The Dark Knight, no, the first one from the trilogy. Um, the, yeah, The Dark Knight, right? The, yeah. Everyone keeps saying, "Ah, oh, damn idealists," <laughs> you know, especially about about Rachel. <laughs> oh, who even cares about justice anymore? <laughs> Just take the bribe like everyone else. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. I I feel that that's my situation because I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to follow my conscience, uh, but it's really difficult when I feel like I'm the only one. But maybe I'm not. Uh, maybe other people would open up and tell me that they actually agree with many things uh, that I believe if I took the first step, you know, if they didn't have to take the, the risk, if someone else takes the risks and they see that, yes. oh, it's actually possible. And oh, you don't go straight to prison and lose your job and, and whatever else. It is possible to protest and actually we can be our own hmm, rulers if we take responsibility what needs to happen for for that critical point to be reached and it just seems like we're on these few people that oppose the system but it's really a lot much larger portion in israel um 60 percent of people are vaccinated that means 40 percent aren't but no one hears about them no one yeah. uh, they're not making loud noises and that's why they um, they go very hard against demonstrations i think in mm -hmm. germany for example i think it's really the the key is knowing how many people really are against it and um if everyone would stop working for example and buying mm -hmm. stuff for a certain amount of time people uh, everything would break down and they would have to react they would have to make concessions but no one wants to be the only one to not work or not buy things. So it's always the consciousness of the others being with you and staying behind you. Yeah. Standing behind you. The, one interesting phenomenon about a demonstration in the open, you know, not online signing petitions, for example, is that you see the mass and you see that you're not the only one and you have all the support and you're part of a movement. 
and so that has a lot of momentum. Um, do our conditions and the, the, the impositions on our lives have to get worse for more people to get angry and active? Or do people have to have more courage? Because in different parts of the world, different things are being pushed through that would not be possible in other parts. Um, I think France is, at least the government wants there to be a, a passport, you know, uh, for entering restaurants. I think some shops as, as well. I don't know how much it's being enforced right now, but this wouldn't be possible in other parts of the world or, or Australia is, is supposed to have a surveillance app that everyone has to use on a regular basis. And here in Germany, that's unheard of. Like, are, are we yeah. different to the Australians or uh, what is going on? <laughs> So for the French, for example, I think it's a lot of culture, how they see themselves or America. America wants to be rebellious. They um, value the Second Amendment. And that's one difference between countries. And with Australia, I just think it's um, it's a difference in flu seasons. The flu season is in the summer in Australia. Oh. So they're further, uh, further in the agenda, for example. So hmm. yeah, I think and I think Australians aren't that different from other Western countries, mm -hmm. but they are the furthest in the COVID restrictions. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So there are cultural differences that might make a difference, but but somehow this is a worldwide phenomenon. Um, does does this? global situation confirm for you that there is a global group of, I don't know, some rich people usually imagined in a smoke-filled room around a table, <laughs> you know, they're dividing up, up the powers among themselves, or do, do you think this is evidence of a worldwide, um, you know, secret group? Mm. I don't think it's evidence. I think there is a group that wants to um, have a world government and world power, but it could just as well be um, emerging um, situation. Yeah, it is a certain. It is certainly an opportunity for some people to get very rich. Yeah, like in the pharma business. The same with the the media. It's um, they like uh, controversy. They like. Um, fear, chaos, politicians want more power, um, um, the, the pharma industry wants to earn money. I mean, it's in all of their interests, but it's also very weird how it happens all at once and with the same methods. And to me, it looks like it's controlled, but it's not proof that it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also kind of open to both, <laughs> but just very suspicious. <laughs> Um, I also think it's very interesting with uh, to to analyze it from a um, status viewpoint. I mean, it's for example, the lower classes like to flaunt their their wealth. They have very little, and they like to flaunt their expensive mm -hmm. cars and chains or, and so on. The upper class likes to flaunt their um, their second yacht or whatever <laughs> their. their um, redundancy, houses. too many cars, too many houses. 
And the middle class, on the other hand, is very um, choice oriented. They, they try to create a hierarchy with how great your opinions are on topics or how what's the best music or how good your taste in whatever books, movies are. Mm -hmm. And that basically makes that your opinion on topics becomes your identity your social, your place in the social hierarchy, which basically means um, how well people treat you, how easy it is for you to get resources and so on. So we get very um, divided on topics and we hold very strongly to our opinions. And that's what's happening, what you, introduced this topic with like uh, one group of people that always believed in corruption and was skeptic skeptical of government really um, doubled down on this topic and the other ones that seemed comfortable and trust and believe in government they doubled down on this topic and it just becomes very personal I think yeah um, earlier today I, I had a thought about the about how it must have been different for one or two generations before us. Uh, so for example, the Vietnam War was triggered by an American ship being attacked close to Vietnam somewhere in the Gulf of Tonkin, I think it's called. And when the news reached the American public, uh, you know, they were all four going to war in Vietnam. And some years later, turned out that this attack on the American ship never happened. It was just made up. And yeah. the, so that's, that's crazy to think about now because we have satellites, uh, we have internet, social media, a camera in, in every person's phone. Um, you would want to see a video of this happening at least, right? You, you wouldn't just believe a story from the other side of the world and yeah have a huge war because of it but in a sense something very similar is happening to us right just but one major difference is now we don't have a lack of information and we're just used to believing well we're still used to believing everything on the news but now we have a flood of information so if if the the people if the criminals at the top are trying to keep us from getting the truth through the internet and they can't stop the information from flowing. They just have to flood the internet with information to distract us and confuse us. And I, I believe that's the situation we're in right now. Um, and if that's not effective enough, they start censoring um, the, the true and, and liberating information. Yeah. What do you, you have some thoughts on that? Um, I just agree. I mean, it's it's really scary that it's very becoming very hard to um, get information and reliable information. Yeah. And it's the media no longer reports information. They create opinions. They make opinions. And yeah, it's hard to to calm through this um, this tsunami of information. Yeah. So now that the so-called journalists are not trusted so much anymore. 
I, I guess it was time for them to use scientists and doctors as trustworthy people, because we're told if we don't get vaccinated, we don't believe in science. <laughs> but you and I have been active in research, at least a little bit, and we know a bit about the scientific process. We know about publishing of scientific articles, and we know how controversial topics are. <laughs> I mean, you and I are um, not in the medical field, but I, I think you, you see where I'm going with this, the, the process yeah. of of useful and reliable information being distilled from all these researchers and experiments around the world is a very messy process. There's politics, there's money incentives, there's, you know, the, the well-funded universities somehow get more attention and respect as well. Um, there's ego in the individual researchers, there's ranks, there's, uh, you know, career, considerations and, and security that goes yeah. into this process and really messes it up. So there is not the science that we have to trust. Even And you and I have spoken about uh, epi, epistemology and the nature of knowledge and truth. Not even that is settled and, and clear. Right. And, and decisions relying on that should not have, you know, this, this huge... Uh, consequence for everyone else it's very messy and human and mm. it should be acknowledged that there is no such thing as settled science or experts say or whatever it should always be debated and that's not what's happening yeah so another thing that i think is interesting is um that they're trying to make us take part in it the, the mask thing, for example, it's it's not a big deal to me, but um, with every time I take a mask, I'm legitimizing it, for example. Yeah. And uh, with others, it's even more so. With people that took two vaccines, they are very invested. And if they have to admit that they were wrong and their whole worldview is different, is wrong, it's it becomes a bigger and bigger leap, like we say. <laughs> Is that called confirmation bias, what you're describing? Um, Your observations are tinted to to harmonize with your worldview? Yeah, it plays into it. It's also just um, your sense of self-worth. And like I said, the middle class is very invested in their opinions. Yeah, uh, what I was describing earlier about, about the Vietnam thing, I believe that earlier, before our time, people were much more dependent on what experts or so-called experts were saying. And they just mm. enjoyed more trust from the people. But now that we have more access to information, even though there's a lot of confusion and chaos that goes along with it, we're able to have uh, an opinion on so many different things. But who has the time and, and the, the mental capacity to form an opinion on so many things that you can base your life on it. And I, I believe that the elites are trying to take away that um, opportunity and that ability to make our own decisions. And they can't do it anymore by taking away the information. So like I said, they flood us with more information and they 
I guess they, they, they use more violence in, in other ways to keep us from being interested in making our own decisions. And, yeah, uh, and, hmm? and I've also, um, there's, like you said, they, um, they also censor people, cancel yeah. people. And I think Australia is trying to um, force you to identify yourself when you go online, you have to sign in with your ID. Mm -hmm. So if you make comments, for example, you, it could have real life consequences. And if you, it doesn't matter what is true or not, if the opinion, if the government says you shouldn't say X or Y, then you no longer comment this. So you don't spread the ideas and you don't think it yourself anymore because you can't, um, you can't tell it others. You can't, I mean, it's, it's no sense thinking about it if you can't spread it so you won't in the end do you believe that we are programmed to to work and think and and reason a certain way um and that this programming and we mentioned it already it comes from being raised by our parents schooling uh being taken care of by the government you know all these influences they they program us just like a machine is programmed and my feeling is that there's a i guess a, a, a free part inside of me that feels suppressed uh, by all this programming and it wants to come out and i wonder just how much you can suppress that part and i i keep hearing that from from other people who, who think similarly to me that they're surrounded by zombies and i don't like going that far calling people people around me zombies because you know i can't tell that much from the outside i'm not that intuitive about how much they're actually making their own decisions how independent they are or how programmed they are but i am afraid that this is a mass phenomenon that is going on right now and I wonder what it takes to, you know, turn the direction that it's going in. So with the everyone else is a zombie thing, this is a very funny cartoon, I think, where people sit in a tram and everyone has a thought bubble of exactly the same thing. Like, look at all these zombies <laughs> and just no one like voices their actual opinions. So I think it's an illusion. I, I don't agree that we're non-deterministic. I really still think that we are deterministic mm. and we just make choices and um, form thoughts from outside influences, from what others say. And even in a larger scale, um, what's acceptable, uh, acceptable to say, what's between the far left and far right politically, for example. And if there's a very far left person speaking publicly publicly in uh, on tele television he shifts the overtone window if you know the term yes of course mm -hmm. and uh, suddenly it becomes more acceptable to be this far left and the regular far left before this very far left person is more um conceived as central now mm -hmm. and yeah i mean we we're very, very influenced by other opinions and what's what's acceptable to say in public. 
and that's why I say censorship is very bad and um, the, the personal identity thing in Australia, I think, is very scary. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this uh, difference of our views before uh, about the deterministic behavior, for example. So in the context of, of being programmed and just living a script, do, do you believe then that we just need to make sure that other people don't determine our script, but we uh, kind of choose the right influences? <laughs> I mean, who can say what we should do and shouldn't do? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. I think uh, if you want to make your own decisions, not influenced by others, then you should avoid influences by others, <laughs> or you should um, be more conscious of them and like take them with a grain of salt and take them in as far as you want to and not try to not be influenced by them too much. Yeah, let's try and do that. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I am, I have been doing this podcast. Um, I, I always say I'm, I'm no expert on these things. I'm just invested in them. Sometimes I get emotional when, when we talk about such topics. Um, but I try to use reason and, and stay calm and, and learn from my guests and Stephen, my co-host. And um, if there's anyone out there who also has anything to gain from this, then I'm happy about that too. Is there anything, any last thing you would like to add? Maybe just a few quick thoughts I'd like to have from you. Um, if it's really this way that we are very easily manipulated as a group, as a mass of people, um, what do you think... Um, how should we approach government with democracy and the media if they really have this large power? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, well, usually my, my first answer is education. Just people need to be aware how much they're being taken advantage of. Um, for example, that we're being exploited through um, the money system, you know, through how central banks work. Um, yeah, that's just one example, and, and that wasn't the first thing that I came across. Uh, like I said earlier, the 9-11 the thing was the thing that really started me on this path. And it was an, an uncomfortable thing. And I could have just as well it, uh, gone against it even harder mentally and just blocked it mm -hmm. off. And even though these mental processes are very subconscious, I believe that we do have some decision-making power in in that situation. I, you know, when you say what should we do or what can we do, it, it sounds like we need to cause other people to do something or force them to do something, but that's going just against what we're trying to achieve. We, we want a society where people are self-reliant, you know, obviously we're also interdependent. We help each other out. We, uh, we build markets, not just of things that we need to survive, but also to develop in other areas of our lives. And so 
I think being an example. So let's start at the individual, right? Being an example for others and showing them what is possible is can be inspirational. You know, being courageous, uh, speaking out, saying what you believe might inspire and give others the courage to um, do the same because everyone has that inside of them. But how many things are blocking it? So that's, that's one of the reasons I go public with this podcast, even though I'm very introverted. I don't know, just making people aware and what actually will trigger them to take the necessary steps to, like we like to say, wake up, uh, is not in my power, or I don't think it's in our power. I think that will come naturally. You know, after you've planted the seeds, people will need to go through something usually painful that will force them to wake up. Um, kind of like when you're coming out of a addiction, a substance addiction, for example, um, the suffering that comes from not changing anything about your situation has to be larger yeah, then the suffering that comes from doing something about it. And then you're ready to do something about it. That's where people say they've hit rock bottom and that's when they're prepared. And I don't think we can artificially create that situation. I think everyone just has to be, has to have certain thoughts ready for when that critical point hits them. And then they will remember what other people have said or shown them by example and be able to stand up for themselves. Right, and even in our discussion right now, that's the only thing that seemed to um, have worked before. Like we said, the culture thing in France or America, for example, mm -hmm. it's basically education and how you view the world. So living by example sounds like a great idea, yeah. I get inspired when I see videos of protests in several countries and they're not easy to find. <laughs> I, I have certain journalists on, on YouTube or if they've been banned there on uh, Odyssey or uh, BitChute that I trust pretty much and they show me videos or, you know, they, they have found them. I don't, I don't invest so much time into figuring these things out myself on a daily basis. I just watch these summaries and, and I see crowds in, in several countries all over the world and I think, Okay, and one of them was in Berlin, and I heard nothing about it. <laughs> yes. I think, okay, if this happens near me, I, I want to join, or I might even want to go to Berlin and join there, because I, I can't stand doing nothing about it. But I hope we've reached a few people with this episode, and I'm very thankful for your contribution. And let's keep doing what we can, just developing ourselves uh, in the process because we have a long way to go as well a lot to learn about what is able to be done in our lives so thank you for being here thank you for having me